today we're going to start the session with a conversation with Rahul Chandra, Managing Director at Arkham Ventures. Welcome, Rahul, to the show. Thanks, Shavana. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Rahul, you were with uh, Ashish at uh, Hillion at the very beginning, right? Of, uh, so you've been at the Indian venture capital scene and problem, solving the an Indian venture capital problem for a long, long time, yeah? Absolutely. In fact, even earlier than that, <clears throat> the first uh, ever India dedicated fund that was done by Walden, 1998. So that was a good six years before or eight years before Helion happened. Okay. I had forgotten about that. Somdas and uh, Libutan, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, in that case, why don't we start with... Um, a bit of a historical view of the Indian um, venture capital ecosystem. You have had a long view, and um, can you take us through what you think were the major milestones in that evolution, and then we'll come to the specifics of Arkham Ventures. Sure, man. my pleasure. <clears throat> so, um, I think the um, the cycles of venture capital in India have been um, notably three, um, and the early ones are almost now insignificant in comparison. So 2000, when the dot-com um, happened in the U.S., there was a quick formation of smaller funds in India. Um, early dot-com entrepreneurs came out, including Nokri, uh, Rediff, and others. And then 2006 is really when Nexus, Matrix, Helion um, came about. <clears throat> with the backing of U.S. long-term LPs. And these mm -hmm. uh, were long-term LPs because there were many endowments. So for the first time, quality uh, backing came for um, uh, for GPs who could now look at backing companies for a longer time with bigger funds. So the fund sizes were on an average 150. And then yeah. uh, barring the, I would say the... Um, the, the other notable um, change in India was was uh, obviously the the whole chicken and egg problem of the device and access to um, to any computing with consumers, and that happened in 2011. Uh, but of course, there was no data to go along with it, and uh, VCs were struggling for themes uh, which were growing at. Uh, exponential rates. There were very few ideas which were tech back. So there were um, a couple of VCs who came from the Valley thinking Indian consumers are now um, are ready to go prime time. Uh, but, uh, you know, things were still quite slow. And then um, I think things really started changing with Geo. So uh, the, the real onboarding and, you know, we started seeing all these numbers from our own portfolio companies, which um, started showing user growths in the millions compared to the hundreds and thousands. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's really when things started becoming very interesting. And um, of course, you know, post that they've been, uh, you know, the landscape is um, much larger funds, um, dedicated Indian global funds uh, or lower funds raising dedicated funds for India. Um, and, um, you know, this was also is a phase that where we are currently where a lot of the founders have um, <clears throat> gone through much more 
I would say, accelerated learning than they have ever gone in the past because of the very high velocity funding exit and uh, growth learnings that have uh, you know started percolating very quickly now in the last four five years, which has given you know it's almost like giving urea or some nice fertilizer to um, a, you know good land but which was not really sprouting anything so suddenly things are like sprouting all over so it's uh, 10 years to get to four unicorns and you know one year to get to 45 so it's just uh, mind-numbing what's happening yes so um, I, I will come back to the unicorn question in a moment I, I think 45 unicorns in one year is, is absurd and and that's <laughs> That's also happening because of financial engineering, not necessarily very strong business building. So that one is a bit of a, you know, bubble froth situation um, because of certain funds behaving in a certain way. But I think some of the um, some of the learnings on our side that uh, that you know come alongside your learning from the venture side is also, you know, what is working, what is scaling. And, um, you know, that first phase that you talked about, it was India facing B2C, right? The Nokri and the uh, Make My Trip and, and stuff like that was mainly make, uh, mainly India facing B2C. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, I think the SaaS wave has been, global SaaS, global tech wave has been very, very productive. Uh, Freshworks came out of two, in 2011. There was kind of that, Dhruva, uh, these are the beginning of that early product company, but that was with a global market in view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that trend has taken good hold, right? There's a lot of Indian companies coming out with global ambitions and, and global go-to-market strategies. So that's one, and that's getting funding not just from India, but also from the, from the Valley and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a, that's been a very healthy growth development. The India-facing consumer business has continued to be a big factor. Um, the one that took took a while, but I think it's starting to also uh, gain some momentum is the Indian SME-facing uh, mm-hmm. business applications and business services. Right. Um, because the sales cycles were very, very slow, and that is starting to accelerate, and I think it's starting to get a bit more traction. And then fintech, India-facing fintech, India-facing health tech, um, India-facing insure tech, all of those are now starting to gain ground. And these, this crop of unicorns that you are describing, the 45 in one year, we just did in January, we did like a big overview of I think 20 Indian unicorns. We did a full analysis of 20 Indian, Indian unicorns. And there were a few that I thought were not overvalued. But by and large, these unicorns have to backfill their valuations. Mm-hmm. These are not reasonable valuations. I mean, you have on one hand a, a public company, which is a comparable at a certain valuation, and the your Indian unicorn is valued at higher than that. This is not a reasonable you know, comparable. So you have to somehow backfill that valuation. That's a slippery slope to do, go down. So let's <laughs> let's come to Arkham Ventures. You are a veteran of the business. So tell me how you're positioning your fund. What is the investment thesis? How big is the fund, and how do you propose to take this 
forward sure. in this new era? Uh, yeah, sure, Shma. Uh, so, Arkham um, is dedicated towards uh, finding, you know, the right companies in markets which are um, disrupting the old uh, structures of certain markets. Um, these companies serve consumers in Middle India, which is um, five to twenty-five lakhs in annual household income. <clears throat> there is a um, affordability. Uh, question here, but in reality, this is more of a um, ease of payment. Now, I'll give you an example. So, um, mostly the banking structures in in developed markets and developing markets are built with the same design for <clears throat> a few uh, consumers. And every new consumer beyond, let's say, 30, 40, 50 million, is going to actually put pressure on the bottom line rather than. Um, you know, then be a lower marginal cost despite such scale. And the, this is because the structures have been designed to cater to smaller markets and smaller countries or a small population of uh, well-to-do people. And for mm -hmm. example, in India, obviously, there are, you know, 400 million people, 450 million on UPI now, um, using yeah. electronic payments. And obviously, this structure is not going to work. So there is a complete unbundling of the banking system from... Uh, savings to investments and um, fixed deposits, everything, um, including, you know, inter-country transfers. Today, I heard someone talking about solving the, the challenges with making global transfers out of India. So the, the reason really is simple. It is that uh, um, the traditional banking system has created a massive gap in service quality and uh, response times and success rates, and it just leaves a fantastic opportunity for a tech first solution to come in uh, and mm -hmm. you know it's blowing the customer experience out of the water so uh, you know i'll give you uh, one of arkham company's examples so uh, we are now uh, uh, 11 company strong in terms of our portfolio and uh, one of our companies recently that we invested in september is called jar and um, there's a very big question about is uh, the segment that JAR is targeting is that 450 million UPI users um, for whom investing is actually just a, is a dream. You know, they, they think investing needs significant capital saved in the bank or under the mattress, and which they don't have. Um, mm -hmm. and for us also, the question was, uh, India is a, is a credit-hungry market. Are people even thinking about saving? But um, uh, we took that... Uh, chance with JAR, and JAR has built a, um, a product which allows you to um, open, you know, download the app, open it, do a login, come out in 45 seconds with even one rupee saved in digital gold. And, you know, gold has is a $2.5 trillion value of what's just in Indian households. You know, it's one of the most uh, go-to saving um, uh, asset class in India and in many other parts of the world. So, uh, Jar married these two concepts, which is lower, you know, what is an investment in the form of a saving, which has some value. So it's not just money under the mattress. It's in gold, but it's in digital gold. And the transaction is um, super friction-free, um, very quick in out. And it's almost like make saving so simple and so smooth that people just... Mm -hmm you know, feel great about doing it. And, you know, very quickly it becomes a habit and people are moving towards financial well-being. 
and you know these guys uh, were at about 20000 users when we when we went in uh, currently have 5 million users in um, 3 plus 2 uh, 5 months so the uh, you know the opportunity we really hit out of the park which are is that there is a very big latent demand for a high quality consumer uh, friendly product which can help you go down the path of uh, savings and investment which nobody had uh, figured out earlier because it just looked that india is not ready for it so uh, mm-hmm. you know so this is a great example of taking a very complex uh, back end product uh, mm-hmm. putting the scale uh, uh, or scalability aspects uh, into that by let's say in this case digital gold uh, and then creating a Uh, a very simple interface for a new first time user to experience something and uh, okay. the results are just fantastic so i think a demo- democra- democratizing complex products for the masses in india is really a theme that we are chasing at arkham mm-hmm. so um, how big is your fund arkham ventures uh, so we closed a uh, 100 million dollar fund in january we did our final close okay. and um, what stage are you going to be focusing on or are you focusing on in the 11 that you've invested in what's the uh, what is your stage thesis so our stage is um, um is a mix of pre series a and some series b so somewhere in that and um, in general we our sweet spot is uh, a 1 to 3 million dollar check first check we are multi multi round so we reserve uh, about 2x of our first check for follow on investing and uh, we usually come into companies which are uh, uh, post product and uh, in some cases you know some yeah yeah okay and um, the investment thesis that you started with was middle india consumers is that the cross the funds investment thesis yes absolutely i think we we think that's a very deep market um 80 90% of the wallet share goes into five areas we're just touching the surface uh, those five areas are fintech health tech agri food um mobility and education uh, and education typically um you know i'm i'm looking at a company which uh, caters to children in households who find let's say a white hat to be a very high price point but they all want to learn coding and this is millions of uh, kids um so this this is one example the other would be where um employability of course in india is a massive challenge a lot of graduates but uh, don't end up finding yeah. jobs so what's that gap in the middle Uh, so for education that's those are some of our themes affordable education and employability um and yeah there are absolutely um, you know big priority areas um for for middle india not middle class but middle india which is for as a sub 25 lakhs household income uh, and uh, uh, you know our first one of our first investment um was in a company called jackison which uh, is doing rural finance using technology um mm-hmm. just before actually just after the first covid wave and you know again there was a big question whether it's going to get impacted or how will you know farmers repay and it was incredible that you know the loan quality the demand side the absolutely smooth and no disruptions 
during COVID uh, for a very simple reason that it's food. You know, at the end of the day, everybody yeah. made sure that those supply chains are working. So as a result, yeah. uh, you know, uh, what was a priority sector selection for us for middle India consumers um, became a very resilient sector during something as disruptive as COVID because it's just important for everyone. I think, and again, when you choose middle India, you're choosing by default sectors which are incredibly important for a very large part of the population and hence you know there is a lot of support and stability in those sectors mm -hmm. and what are you learning from a go-to-market strategy point of view what uh, this middle india consumers mm -hmm. where are they reachable are they reachable on google are they reachable on facebook are they reachable yeah on whatsapp how do you reach them <laughs> So clearly WhatsApp, a uh, big channel, uh, but also um, a lot of the, uh, you know, short video format apps, um, which are like um, um, Moj, uh, you know, or uh, MK Takatak, which just merged with, uh, which was bought recently. But uh, this all put together, um, short video format, some total of all the audience in the three, four top apps is now what um, TikTok used to be before they left. And um, so it's a, you know, it's a very wide audience, about 350 million Indians are spending time on that. So that's one big channel. But uh, and it's converting this audience, this, this channel is converting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there is uh, um, some, again, very interesting um, derivatives from this, you know, what used to be complete time pass activity is now creating millions of uh, creators. Uh, many of them are working on uh, promoting certain products. Um, some of them are teaching, you know, obviously there are some bad elements where a speculative investment uh, asset is, you know, is advertised. This is not regulated. Um, but by and large, there is a lot of uh, productive use now where education or, you know, just small entrepreneurs are benefiting from uh, you know just this access that these uh, channels are providing. Mm, interesting. And uh, talk about how many of those eleven investments that you've made so far are in ed tech. Uh, just one uh, so far. Uh, you want to talk about that? We have not announced this one, but uh, I can talk about the construct. It's uh, sure. uh, it's going to come out soon. So the Again, the premise is very similar to what I'd said, which is uh, uh, there is um, a, a very two-dimensional, non-interactive nature with online classes. Now, online classes is is, uh, is an outcome of COVID, of course, with colleges and schools shutting down. Uh, and the best possible solution at that point, which was uh, a video class, one-to-many, very little interaction, sit at home and study. That came about as a result of a disruptive event. It's obviously, it's not the best solution, um, but it still plays to the point that uh, education in India requires a scale solution. Uh, there are just way too many um, topics to be covered uh, to improve employability for people to learn certain skills. And uh, schools and colleges are just not enough to, to, to do that because of the same uh, age-old limitation of uh, experiential learning, ability to prove your or sh showcase your learning through project works. And um, 
you know, and just learning through peer, uh, which was possible in a school or a physical college is just not possible in a Zoom experience. So this company actually is looking to just re redesign uh, the whole education experience, but targeting it at the post-college uh, employability um, gap. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and uh, in something like that, is, what is the go-to-market strategy that works? Is that still through this kind of advertising that you were just talking about, or are there other channels? Oh, interesting you ask. So, um, you know, digital or education in India, digital education in India has kind of evolved with some kind of a hammer of hard sell and uh, it's aggressive selling in some cases. Now, um, we are also, again, betting on that nature of education selling to convert into a pull um, where students actually mm -hmm. want to go through this experience. You know, I think we have, that's a big bet. But we are betting on it um, that the way digital education has been sold needs to be turned on its head, where education regains its original value and respect versus becoming, uh, you know, um, something that you end up doing because your parents were conned into paying for it. So it's it's a very high, um, I mean, it's a expectation of a very high uh, NPS um, very strong um, engagement by the student because you know they actually want to do this and there is a tangible value that comes out of it so the um, the end result obviously is going to be how many people get employed uh, and that has a very strong feedback loop but um, the uh, there is no hard sell um, at least in the go-to-market um, I think there will be um, what you can say um, awareness creation, but uh, there won't be people calling you three times a day to have you buy something. Um, there will be an ease of payment, but that will not become the path to selling. Um, you know, a cost of education you know, is yeah. One yeah. of the uh, one of our, my observations is that there are all these schools. There are like colleges in every corner of India, right? Engineering colleges and you know, various kinds of colleges, um, and they are graduating huge numbers of people, and that's where the employability gap often is. Mm -hmm. So is there a way to leverage these colleges and, you know, make them better at mm -hmm. what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah, so um, again, if this environment is what... Uh, um, what can be created, which is, uh, you know, an ability to do some of the things I mentioned, um, then, uh, you know, this is eventually intended to be a platform in which colleges can come and just give a better experience around learning. You know, I think um, what is um, uh, what is common to most ed tech in India, the parts which are working well, is cohort-based learning. So you um, take batches, but you do it not every year or every uh, semester, but you take every two months, one month, and you can improve your uh, delivery with every cohort. Uh, and also, you can manage the cohort much better because uh, you can track how that cohort is moving uh, with a maximum completion rates 
that is being goaded by mentors and uh, you know and people who are motivating these students to keep moving so i think there are a lot of best practices now in in edtech um, which can be translated to a much better experience hmm. interesting um I guess my last question to wrap up is, how do you feel about what's happening with this unicorn? Is this something that, so for example, these 11 companies that you have created, that you have invested in, not created, you have invested in, um, how do you feel about these companies going this route if like a tiger or a soft bank comes in with this, yeah, we want to flush these companies with capital and you know, turn them into unicorns. You can turn anything into a unicorn by slapping a bunch of liquidation preferences, a bunch of money, and put a unicorn valuation. How do you feel about your companies going in that direction? Um, I, I think all, um, first of all, there are very few people who are in this mix of, um, you know, taking companies to a limitless pool of capital. Their ability to give a company um, a path to basically forgetting about capital constraint. There are not that many investors. Uh, it seems like a lot of capital, but they're the same set of people who would. Um, now, I think there is right. a, um, a very strong method to this, what looks like madness. Uh, there is, um, um, I, and again, the you know, the perception can be that anyone and everyone is getting it but in general uh, what at least i'm seeing is that there is a very strong um, selection criteria um, but the criteria has a lot to do with growth right the growth is a big factor and um, in my previous life i've you know i've you know been part of a let's say a microfinance investment cap table and again there were questions hey this is microfinance it has some mission and private equity players have gone in and they're going to spoil everything. And my response really is that in India, if you're not doing things uh, with the right scale, then it's not going to mean anything. It's just not going to have enough impact. Uh, so a company that can have, uh, and in some ways I think it's a lot like how impact investors invest, which is you do not expect, uh, uh, you know, the, very sane financial metrics to come too soon. You give companies time to go uh, and give, you know, and to build something first and then come back and give that. Uh, in that interim, of course, things look very crazy because, you know, they are valued richly even then. But what I'm seeing companies do is they're uh, right now, uh, even in our own portfolio, we have two sets of companies. One is the market creators who are doing absolutely new market creation, like a small case which is an alternative to mutual funds. I mean, it's the vanguard of, of India. And um, and the other set, which is a market enabler company. So creators and enablers, the, you know, and, and both have an equal chance of having very high outcomes and, and, and unicorn uh, numbers. But uh, we feel that the, um, the creators, of course, need to uh, make sense to millions and millions. And that growth is, you know, 1 million to 10 million 10 million to 50 million. Uh, and I am seeing enough evidence that once you have a critical mass, you have enough data, uh, then companies are able to, you know, ramp uh, in a very delayed, but in a hockey stick fashion on the revenue. 
so it is mm -hmm. interesting how you know the, it still needs the right execution but you know you you look like you have you know very non commensurate revenue to your valuation and then suddenly whoop there is a big hockey stick of revenue growth so you know yeah. it's it's happening that um, you know the revenue just catches up super quickly yeah so that's that was kind of my observation when we did the 20 uh, indian unicorn analysis is that investment thesis is growth and mm -hmm. investment thesis is very large tam and uh, and basically figuring out what is the customer acquisition path and then flushing that path with capital so that that kind of hockey happens. That's exactly what my observation was. Um, and what do you think this space of, so there, there's two constraints, right, on, on whether we can build these kinds of very large scale companies rapidly. One is on the investment side, there are constraints. There are not that many, as you pointed out, there are not that many players who can play these games. And on the other side, there are not, not that many companies that can play this game either. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, you know, we have 45 unicorns in one year, but is this a sustainable pace? What is your read? Yeah, I think the, the excitement really is how many large, deep problems India has uh, you know has opportunities to be solved, um, and at the end of the day, there is you know it's certainly not the most perfect valuation. It's at the end of the day private valuation with an estimate of future growth, which is humongous. India has the numbers, um, the consumer demand, um, and now you know people who are increasingly delivering on this delayed monetization of growth um, combination. So I think um, 45 was a pent-up number, which kind of uh, uh, just happened mm -hmm. in a in a you know high growth year. I think everything was moving, um, uh, but is there enough pipeline to keep sh doing this? Maybe not at the same pace, but you know at let's say 50 to 70 percent every year. Um, I think there are plenty of companies in the pipeline which have that potential. And and again, and this what? Is, yeah. Yeah, what is your um, prognosis of the other form of building businesses, which mm -hmm. is the more fundamental focused, you know, in, you know, relatively speaking, more conservative, more, you know, okay, you build businesses, you grow those businesses with modest amounts of capital or limited amounts of capital. And, and there are a lot more investors who can play that game. That's yeah. not a constraint at the moment. There are a lot, there's a lot of capital in the system. Yeah. So um, are, are you seeing entrepreneurs getting distracted or confused by the trends of this like excessive numbers of unicorns and if they don't become one of them, they consider themselves failures or are, do, can, do they have their head straight in that there is another way of succeeding as well? Um, I mean, pragmatically, I see it like um, um, it it is creating FOMO and hence ulcers for people who are always worried that you know I am going to now have a much harder time growing. I think the um, the kind of markets where growth is necessary uh, to be meaningful, um, you know, generally winner take all, uh, strong network effects are identified. I think those. Um, clearly need big checks and they're uh, building it slow 
um, or uh, steadily, I think is um, is tougher. But um, um, I think it's it's uh, also uh, the kind of uh, entrepreneur. Um, I think uh, there are some who who you know need to deliver on you know longer uh, time to competitive modes, uh, build a more differentiated product where uh, you know the product actually is not a uh, not an app which uh, can't be uh, replicated. It is something, you know, like a artificial, you know, a tissue or synthetic tissue company which needs ton of research and testing before it can go out. So there, there are uh, um, plenty of solutions like that which are being worked upon where capital is not going to make a difference. Uh, it is just the successful outcome of the product that not everybody can. So I think there, again, is... Uh, there are different themes um, which which are getting backed, but those are just different founders who um, are building the moat differently. You know, so you don't get a growth moat, you get a product moat, and that is a little bit of delayed gratification in terms of investor valuation and and eventual outcomes. Uh, but you know, here you know, this is, these are like your Diwali rockets, right? They go up. And those are the Cherkis. So you know, the rockets go up very quickly, but you don't know where they'll they land. So there's always a question till you know that eventual monetization starts picking up steam. You know, the other comment you made about winner takes it all companies. There are certain sectors where winner takes it takes it all is the dynamic, but um, but I think in fintech and edtech, there are. And in health tech also, these are not necessarily winner-takes-it-all markets, right? We have so many banks. Mm -hmm. You know, banking is not a winner-takes-it-all mm -hmm. business. Uh, there are credit unions and there are JP Morgans and Goldman right. Sachs. Yeah. Um, ed tech is definitely not a winner-takes-it-all business. Right. Um, you know, there are all these tutoring companies and, and local tutors mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And then, of course... Uh, Health tech has so many different kinds of hospitals. I was looking at one of the unicorns uh, that is creating surgery infrastructure in tier two, tier three towns. Mm -hmm. Well, great, you know, it's a fantastic mission. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't mean that all the existing surgery infrastructure is not going to is going to go away. Yeah, but you know, the way I see it is that uh, uh, winner takes it all. Really means winner takes all the cash. So, so there is a massive concentration of capital that happens with a potential winner, uh, which means that now this uh, this company can afford to, um, you know, just offer better terms and and run at at a much more uh, uh, non-sustainable way than the others have to worry about. And it's it's a question of. Right. Uh, you know, just uh, suddenly, you know, your competitor has a V8 engine, and you're, you know, just going, put, 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 and you know, who's going to get? Uh, so you, you, then you need to have that, you know, mindset of stamina, marathon, and just keep going, and yeah. you know, and and keep the FOMO out. So it's, uh, it's, it's very strenuous, I think, for founders when they keep hearing this constant chatter of this guy got funded, that company got funded, etc. It needs a lot of. <laughs> I think believe in yourself to to just keep going. Absolutely, uh, you know there is uh, no you know finish line happening anytime soon for anyone. But it is it is tough in these environments for for people to keep their focus on. Yeah, you know I 
I'm a big fan, as you know, of bootstrap companies. And mm-hmm. uh, in in some ways, actually, it's, it's easier for a bootstrap company to deal with that situation than a mid-scale funded company. Right. Because if you're, if you're on the funding track and you're not getting the funding somebody else is, that's very distracting. Whereas if you're a bootstrap company, you've decided that I'm not going to go for that kind of, you know, that mode of growth, I'm going to do it differently, then the chatter is less distracting. Yes, absolutely. And that decision just needs to be made up front because what I've seen is that, um, you know, you see or you kind of get uh, um, uh, cornered into a certain business model which is mirroring the other company. And basically, now you've started uh, building a, a low margin, high burn business just because you think you've got to compete uh, because okay. somebody else is challenging you to it. And then that somebody gets, you know, the much bigger check than you and you have this high burn business and you don't know why you made yeah. it. But in the whole... And that, you can't attract the capital. That's yeah, a very slippery. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, then you're going to go hit a wall. Uh, and the other yeah. company, it's got the funding. So it has to be made very preemptively that, you know, are they going to look that like that high burn company or not? So if you start looking, yeah. then you better get that check in. Very good. Wonderful conversation, Rahul. Thank you very much. My I pleasure. don't know if you have time. To and congratulations on, on what, by 564th episode of an M. What was that? Yeah. That's it. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, you mean how many roundtables? Yeah. Table? yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. It's been going on for a long time. It looks like a lovely yeah. day in Bay Area, so enjoy the rest of the day. A wonderful day in the Bay Area, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for being here, Rahul. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.